as the Cherokee legend advises, feed the good wolves and starve the bad ones. So the question is, what are the wolves when it comes to medical factors and health? Needless to say, your health is a critical factor in terms of being able to achieve longevity, your ability to live a long life and to enjoy quality of life. The healthier you are, the longer you're likely to live. And the healthier you are, the more you are likely to avoid suffering and enjoy that long life. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, founder and CEO of MindRamp Consulting, and your host for the MindRamp Podcasts. We've been reviewing MindRamp's eight cogwheels of brain health, and we're now on number seven, medical factors. As with all of the cogwheels, the risk and protective factors associated with your medical status influence the plastic changes that take place in your brain. Our positive plasticity premise states that we can improve our longevity by promoting positive plastic changes that make our brain stronger, more resilient, and smarter. And importantly, you also need to reduce the negative changes that weaken your brains and make them more vulnerable. As the Cherokee legend advises, feed the good wolves and starve the bad ones. So the question is, what are the wolves when it comes to medical factors and health? What conditions need to be starved and what conditions need to be fed? Disease and injury are clearly bad wolves. Premature aging is a bad wolf. Dementia is a bad wolf. Chronic inflammation is a bad wolf. The good wolves are the activities that prevent these bad wolves from taking control of our bodies and brains. There are basically four ways that you can approach starving these bad medical wolves. The first is prevention. It's probably the best approach is to prevent injury, illness, debility from occurring in the first place. Take steps to avoid conditions that contribute to premature aging, dementia, and so on. Prevent injuries and illness. Next is diagnosis. If you're sick, you need to know what's going on. Don't assume that feeling tired, out of sorts, or in pain is normal just because you're getting on in years. If something doesn't feel right, have it checked out. If it's nothing, great. If it is something to be concerned about, then you can take steps to address it. So that's number three, treatment. Once you've identified a problem, do something about it. Take the medications or the supplementation that are prescribed by professionals, being cautious not to indulge in over-medication. Take care of your body by getting massages, acupuncture, physical therapy. Do the prescribed exercises to strengthen your body and to find good body alignment. Then the fourth approach is management. It's incredibly difficult to cure certain diseases such as cancer and HIV and dementia once it's really taken hold. The new approach with these intractable diseases is to manage them rather than trying to cure them. The management approach enables people to live with the disease while maintaining their quality of life. If you can't prevent or treat a chronic disease or dementia, do all you can to manage the condition. Don't let it get worse and do all you can to figure out how to achieve quality of life in spite of your injury or illness. In this episode, I want to focus on two health conditions in particular, dementia and chronic inflammation. 
Here's a distillation of the main points about dementia and related conditions. 1. Dementia, Alzheimer's, and other neurodegenerative diseases are complex conditions with multiple causes. 2. These age-related conditions are caused by accumulated damage caused by other diseases or conditions that often start when we're much younger. 3. These earlier conditions are largely caused by poor lifestyle choices. We're talking about conditions like obesity, type 2 diabetes, leaky gut syndrome, cardiovascular disease, and more generally, systemic inflammation and systemic blood sugar dysregulation. Four, over time, these chronic conditions wear away at the integrity of the cells, overwhelm the body's ability to repair itself, and the body degenerates. And the final point, most of these conditions are treatable which means if we can prevent the diseases and prevent these destructive conditions or get them under control in time, we can minimize our risk of dementia and similar age-related diseases and conditions. Here's a caveat about aging. Aging is inevitable and it ends in death. We can't do anything about that progression, but we can do something about the way the progression unfolds. The challenge is to gain some control over how fast or slow we age and how long we will spend dying. The goal, the best case scenario, is what is called compressed morbidity. In this scenario, we age slowly and we die quickly. The worst case scenario is we live long and spend most of that time sick and dying and, and suffering. We want to prevent premature aging. We are often told that the biggest risk factor for Alzheimer's is age, but the more nuanced and more accurate description is that the way you age determines your risk for dementia. If you age poorly and rapidly, your risk goes way up. If you age well and compress your morbidity, the risk goes down. To understand how the rate of aging relates to your risk of dementia, it's useful to understand the true nature of neurodegenerative diseases. Michael Mersnick, who is famous in the field of neuroscience for his seminal research on brain plasticity, made this comment on a recent video I saw. He said, I don't believe in a sense that Alzheimer's is a disease. I think it's a catastrophic end stage of a progression of change that is probably, in most individuals, preventable, end quote. I think this statement is accurate and revealing. There's a lot to take note in Mersnick's statement. First, Alzheimer's is not a disease. It is a state or condition of generalized malaise and malfunction. There isn't any Alzheimer's bug that gets into your brain and starts mucking things up. If there were, researchers would have figured out how to grab onto it and take it out. Dementia is a description of a brain in distress. The second point that Wersnick makes is that Alzheimer's disease and dementia is a catastrophic end stage. There is a progression of change that, if left unchecked, ultimately results in a collapse of cognitive function, takes a long time to happen. 
Since Alzheimer's and other dementias aren't diseases, like a virus or an infection, you don't suddenly get them. You know, like yesterday you were fine and oops, today you have Alzheimer's. No, it builds gradually, it creeps up on you. Damage to the cells in your brain accumulates gradually over time. You get sicker and weaker and more vulnerable with each passing year. It's like the proverbial frog in the pot of water that is gradually being brought to a boil. You don't recognize the danger until it's too late. And the trick, of course, is to stay out of the pot in the first place. Mersnick ends his statement on a very hopeful and optimistic note, and I think a very realistic one. He says that, quote, probably in most individuals, dementia is preventable, end quote. You can stay out of that pot of boiling water if you put your mind to it. And you do that by paying attention to all of the cogwheels of brain health and diligently reducing your risk factors while amplifying your protective factors. In his book, The End of Alzheimer's, Dale Bredesen states unequivocally that, quote, Alzheimer's disease can be prevented, and in many cases, its associated cognitive decline can be reversed, end quote. At the core of Bredesen's approach is the recognition that Alzheimer's has multiple distinct causes. Alzheimer's is not a single disease and cannot be treated with a single all-purpose intervention. Bredesen and his lab have identified at least three main subtypes of Alzheimer's. Each type is driven by different biochemical processes, and each one, therefore, requires a different treatment approach. One is exposure to toxins, toxins such as metals, biotoxins, molds, and pollution. Another type he calls atrophic, or cold, dementia. And this means suboptimal levels of nutrients, hormones, and other synapse-supporting molecules. Actually, it can be too much or too little. So, for example, blood sugar and insulin are very important. If they get dysregulated, that causes all kinds of problems. And then there's also a hot disturbance, and this is inflammation, chronic inflammation, from infection, diet, and other causes is becoming increasingly recognized as being incredibly closely associated to dementia and Alzheimer's, but to all kinds of other conditions that go wrong as we age. I'd like to spend the rest of this episode talking a little bit about chronic inflammation. cover story in an AARP bulletin a year or so ago was titled, The Cure for Everything. Now, in most instances, I would dismiss such an extravagant claim, but the subtitle caught my attention. It read, researchers have linked inflammation to nearly every critical disease of aging. Reduce it now, and you can clear a path to a happier, healthier, longer life, end quote. I've been tracking the research on inflammation, and I have to say that they tend to confirm this conclusion. Chronic inflammation is implicated in a whole host of conditions associated with aging and decline. Chronic inflammation has been linked to a whole host of health conditions. Starting with the brain, chronic inflammation contributes to the onset of dementia, depression, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, and chronic fatigue. And then there's more as you work your way down the body. 
chronic inflammation is also linked to periodontitis, asthma, cardiovascular disease, COPD, cancer, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, obesity, inflammatory bowel diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, and lupus. The core point is that controlling chronic inflammation will lower our risk of contracting all of these debilitating conditions, and that's pretty damn significant. A reduction of chronic inflammation can slow the progression of these diseases and possibly keep them under control. I'm still not convinced that controlling chronic inflammation will cure a health condition such as dementia once it's you know, the damage has really been done. So as always, prevention is the best approach. Inflammation behaves a little bit like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll is a kind, well-respected and intelligent scientist who uses a potion to explore the dark side of his nature, turning him into an evil monster, Mr. Hyde. Well, conditions like inflammation and stress have this dualistic nature, at times benevolent and at other times monstrously destructive. Inflammation is one of those Jekyll and Hyde reactions that is helpful in the short term, but dreadfully damaging when it persists. When injured, the body protects and repairs itself with an acute or short-term inflammatory reaction. Distressed cells send out chemical alerts to the immune system. White blood cells flood the area and gobble up bacteria, viruses, damaged cells, and de debris from infections or injuries. The redness and swelling we associate with a cut or a sprained ankle reflects the influx of chemicals and nutrients needed to cope with the injury or illness. They protect the damaged area and return the body to a state of balance. If the damage is severe, the body sends in these heavy hitters, neutrophils, are, quote, the hand grenades of the immune system, according to Roma Pawa of the National Institutes of Health. Neutrophils have a short lifespan, but they, quote, blow up everything in sight, healthy or not, end quote. The acute inflammatory response abates. It goes down once the battle is won and the danger is gone. The number of white blood cells returns to normal, the neutrophil hand grenades are no longer lobbed into the danger zone, and the body goes back to its normal routines. Chronic inflammation is different. It's, quote, a slow creeping condition caused by a misfiring of the immune system, says Robert H. Schmerling of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Chronic low-grade inflammation, quote, keeps your body in a constant, long-term state of high alert, end quote. White blood cells keep flooding the system. Neutrophils continue to explode long after the danger has passed, causing damage to whatever healthy tissue remains. Like a snowball that becomes a deadly avalanche, an initial immune response is reinforced, perpetuated, and enlarged by a cascade of pro-inflammatory risk factors. The immune system gets stuck in the on position when constantly activated by things like pro-inflammatory foods, constant stress, poor sleep, or maladaptive mindsets. When there are no more foreign invaders to confront, chronic low-grade inflammation starts attacking healthy cells. 
Constant activation of the immune response weakens the linings of your arteries and your intestines. The cellular damage caused by chronic inflammation can, in turn, trigger diseases like dementia, as we've been saying, depression, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and arthritis. What are the main causes of chronic inflammation? Well, genetics plays a role. In some cases, an inherited gene can cause a misfiring of the immune system, triggering inflammation and rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, lupus, and other diseases. In other cases, genes related to inherited health problems are turned on by inflammation. The environment is a factor. A chronic inflammatory response can be triggered by exposure to pollutants in the air and water, or by a reaction to environmental allergies. Lingering infections can also cause chronic inflammation. Some chronic infections, like hepatitis C or Lyme's disease, hide out in the body for a long time. The enduring low-level infection causes a persistent low-level inflammation, and it's often the inflammation that does the damage. Persistent viral and bacterial infections are now being cited as a cause for dementia. Again, it's probably the inflammatory response, not the infection, that does the real damage to the brain. And finally, lifestyle choices play a major role and are the risk factor over which we have the greatest control. Run down the risk factors associated with MindRamp's eight essential cogwheels of brain health and you find causes of chronic inflammation. These include lack of exercise, unmanaged stress, poor eating and drinking habits, obesity, lousy sleep, dangerous environments, poor medical management, smoking, and of course, your mental attitude is critical. Your moods and mindsets largely determine how you manage your lifestyle and whether you make healthy choices or surrender to damaging temptation. One of the core points of the MindRap method is that all of the cogwheels interact in a combinatorial manner. Imagine a ship with eight holes in the hull. Fixing just one hole won't keep the ship afloat. All eight holes have to be plugged. Well, it's the same with chronic inflammation, which is caused by a plethora of conditions. Addressing one risk factor is a step in the right direction, but all of the triggers of inflammation must be turned off to bring the immune system back into control. So what's the best strategy to avoid chronic inflammation? Anti-inflammatory drugs are not recommended. Popping daily doses of ibuprofen might seem like a reasonable strategy. It's an anti-inflammatory after all, but wait. Excessive use of ibuprofen has dangerous side effects like stomach bleeding and increased blood pressure. So researchers are continuing to experiment with anti-inflammatory drugs, but none have yet to be improved for public use. Regular testing for chronic inflammation might appear to be a good idea, but there are problems with this strategy. Remember the Jekyll and Hyde nature of inflammation. At times, an inflammatory response is necessary. Another problem is that our levels of inflammation fluctuate throughout the day. You get different readings at different times of the day, so it's hard to get an accurate reading. Finally, if you are a generally healthy person with no diagnosed issues and you test high in inflammation, what are you going to do about it? Well, 
you're going to adopt a healthy lifestyle that you should be practicing in any case. Managing lifestyle changes is currently the best approach to preventing or reducing chronic inflammation. As I pointed out, you are in control of how you live your life. And if what you are doing causes chronic inflammation, you are flirting with danger. Change what you're doing. So go back and review the information on the cogwheels. Make sure you're getting enough physical exercise, eat brain-healthy foods, get enough quality sleep, manage your stress, engage in positive social interactions, and keep your mind sharp and learn to manage your moods and your mindsets. And then in the final cogwheel episode, we will consider environmental factors as well. Yes, I know, changing lifestyle patterns is hard, but... The author of the AARP article had a good response to protestations that things like exercise and dietary changes are hard. He said, so is heart surgery. Yeah, good point. So really, what is harder? Learning to replace your burger and fries with a salad at lunch or learning how to survive on a kidney dialysis machine or breathing through an oxygen mask or coping with dementia? Remember, if you need a little help making healthy lifestyle changes, MindRamp is here to help. We could work with you to map out a strategy to avoid chronic inflammation, and we can coach you to stick with your plan. That's it for now. Live long and live well.